Good morning, NFL fans. Welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. It is week two of the NFL season, at least the end of week two, depending on when you're listening. If it's Monday, the day that uh, the podcast comes out, we have one game left in week two, the Pittsburgh Steelers visiting the Cincinnati Bengals, AFC North showdown. Finally, a team in the AFC North did win. Uh, the Ravens took on the Browns, so kind of by default, somebody had to win. Ravens in first place at 1-1, one and one, uh, and the Steelers and Bengals. One of those teams have to win, too. Uh, the winner of the game uh, will be tied with Baltimore for uh, the lead in the AFC North. But we have some other divisions of teams that are still undefeated at 2-0, and oh, and uh, we're going to get right to the division showdown on Sunday night between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. The game was a lot closer than the score indicates, the final score indicates, uh, but Seattle kind of put a beat down on San Francisco 29-3. to Again, the final score doesn't really indicate how physical or how close the game really was, but uh, if you watch the game... The Seahawks really took it to to uh, the 49ers and and pretty much dominated the, dominated the game. Uh, if a couple things I want to discuss, San Francisco again did not do very well running the ball, and that is very uncharacteristic for them. If you want to pinpoint to one thing, it's it's hard to pinpoint to one thing when you lose by 26 why you lost, but if you want to pinpoint one thing. Yeah, San Francisco, you know, the, the the defense gave up that many points. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, there were a lot of mistakes, a lot of penalties, a lot of turnovers. Five turnovers for the 49ers, the most under Jim Harbaugh in, in uh, you know, two-plus seasons now with him as head coach. That, I think, is a major mis- – that is a major reason why uh, San Francisco played so poorly was the penalties – the turnovers, and a lot of that probably contributed to the fact that they were playing in maybe the toughest place to play on the road in uh, Seattle in their 12th man. But Frank Gore, again, for the second game in 2013, did not get going on the ground. Nine carries in this game, 16 yards. The fact that he only had nine carries is a huge indication that San Francisco is not getting it done on the ground. Only had 20 rushing attempts the whole game and that's including nine from Colin Kaepernick and I don't exactly know uh, how they count uh, Kaepernick's carry some of those probably were supposed to be designed to be passes but then it ends up uh, he scrambles and it's a rushing attempt Kaepernick other than him scrambling 49ers had no offense in this game and at the beginning of the game in the first quarter it was either the first or second drive from San Francisco. It might have been the first drive where they um, drove down deep into 49, deep into uh, Seahawk territory. And we've seen this by several teams this season and, and several good teams, including the 49ers. Inside the 10-yard line, at the goal line actually, on a third and goal, Colin Kaepernick thought he had man-to-man coverage, tried to get it into one of his receivers to get the first score of the game, get a touchdown on a critical third down. 
gets batted up in the air. I believe it was batted by uh, safety Kim Chancellor, and uh, it ends up getting intercepted. And that was a huge turning point in the game, in my mind. If you want to point back to a point where uh, the game completely changed, uh, I, I think that is the point in time where the 49ers really could have set the tone for the game, went up 7 nothing, at the very least gone up 3 nothing. Instead, the Seahawks are going the other way, they get a big stop, and that's just one of five turnovers they get in the game. Seattle ends up leading this game at halftime 5-0. They get a safety on a holding call uh, in the end zone for that San Francisco committed. Just one of several penalties. Let's take a look at the penalties of this game. 12 penalties for 121 yards for San Francisco. Seattle, <laughs> they had a lot too. 10 penalties, 84 yards. But uh, I, I meant to... I I forgot to tally up how many personal foul calls San Francisco had. It must have been at least four. I think maybe even five. It was definitely over three. Uh, It felt like every drive they were getting hurt either on offense by a personal foul call or they were helping Seattle move the ball down the field by being called for a 15-yard penalty repeatedly over and over again. Um, And... That's not a sign of a Jim Harbaugh team. Now, I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon and say San Francisco is, you know, is not going to make the playoffs or whatever. But um, I, I did pick them to, to lose the division to Seattle. I picked Seattle to actually, I, I think I picked them to be a one or a two seed. So um, I'm, I guess I'm looking smart for at least one week. Uh, San Francisco has has flaws. I think that's a, the very least we could say about the 49ers because we were all high up on them last week, and I know I'm probably contradicting myself now because of all the nice things I said about the 49ers last week, how they can win in multiple ways and they have balance and great teams, championship teams, find different ways to win. Well, San Francisco may have that more potent passing uh, attack this season with a more experienced Colin Kaepernick, uh, a reliable Anquan Bolden, a more um, reliable Vernon uh, Vernon Davis, even with the injuries of Michael Crabtree and uh, Mario Manningham. But this team's bread and butter is Frank Gore. It's the running attack. It's the run option. And that is honestly, that's what makes the defense so good. The, the, yes, the defense has talented players in Alden Smith, Justin Smith. The linebacker, the other linebackers that they have, I always forget uh, Alden Smith is an outside linebacker. The other middle linebackers, they have Patrick Willis. Uh, they, they have even great, um, uh, great, great corners and a great secondary. But they set the tone up front on offense with their running game and with Frank Gore. And this season... Every every year it seems like people think, oh, this is the year Frank Gore falls off. This is the year Frank Gore falls off. Hasn't happened yet. Based on how he looked in training camp, people didn't think it would happen this year. But maybe it is. Maybe it's the offensive line. Maybe it's Gore. Who knows? But for 49ers to be, uh, for them to repeat as NFC champs, they need to establish that running game and then use the passing game as an aid to help the running game, not the other way around. On defense, the one thing I can say about the 49ers, 
going back to the running game, they were not able to slow down Marshawn Lynch that much. They were they were able to slow him down a little bit, a little bit. I mean, Lynch's average in this game was 3.5 yards, but he did get 98 um, rushing yards in the game. Carried the ball 28 times, but Lynch also scored three touchdowns, two on the ground, one through the air. And Lynch also had 37 uh, yards uh, receiving as well. So over 100 yards uh, total offense for Lynch. Had a pretty big day scoring three uh, three touchdowns. That, to me, is also, a, I don't want to say a concern, but maybe something that fans need to look out for. San Francisco prides themselves in stopping the run with seven guys. Chris Collinsworth said it several times on Sunday night. If they can't stop the run with seven guys, like they weren't able to do Sunday night, they're vulnerable in the passing game. And Seattle doesn't have the most potent passing game. Russell Wilson, it took him to the second quarter to complete a pass, but he got the job done again. And it'll be an interesting rematch in San Francisco, obviously, the, the huge home field advantage for Seattle. I haven't, I haven't talked about the Seahawks at all. It was all So far, it's all been uh, 49ers and, and why they lost. But give credit to Seattle and this defense. This defense looks ferocious. Three points allowed. We, we talked about Green Bay and how Green Bay's defense, obviously the secondary is pretty weak, but they held San Francisco to 90 yards rushing last week. They did a pretty good job, and the 49ers were still, still managed to score over 30 points. It's hard to shut out an opponent in today's NFL, and the Seahawks didn't get a shutout, but to allow three points to the 49ers and to get them to commit five turnovers... Yeah, we can talk about all we want, how 49ers made so many mistakes in this game, but the Seahawks flat out outplayed them and forced them into those mistakes. If the 49ers didn't, weren't behind in the fourth quarter by so much, Colin Kaepernick wouldn't be throwing so many passes and then wouldn't have thrown three interceptions. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of mistakes by the 49ers, but the Seahawks putting their team in better situations to win uh, and better situations to to make big plays, and they did, and they came through. And have to give credit to, uh, the, the like I said, the defense of Seattle, and I'm going to name a couple of guys. I already named Kim Chancellor, who had the tip in the end zone, um, but the, the cornerback that well, used to play for Jim Harbaugh actually in Stanford, Richard Sherman, is a guy that had a huge game. We knew that he would be psyched for this this matchup because uh, he doesn't really like Harbaugh all that much. Harbaugh has words, obviously, for Sherman. But Sherman, so excited to play this game on Sunday night and had a huge day, intercepted a pass, made some big tackles, just made some big impact plays. And quite frankly, 49ers defense is going to be a top-five defense, but Seattle, on Sunday night at least, was in a whole nother league. And in my mind, after two weeks, clearly the best defense in the league. We'll see because uh, uh, we'll see on on Monday night. Cincinnati and Pittsburgh still have to play. They have some good defenses, but I don't think they're in the same league at all with this Seattle defense. That was the Sunday night game, a game that was on Sunday evening. Very easily could be a Sunday night matchup any other week besides uh, the Forty Nine ers Seahawks that 
quite frankly, go, go, going into the season, are, were considered the best two teams in the league. But on Sunday evening, the Denver Broncos visited the New York Giants, and this one turned into a rout as well. The Broncos defeated the Giants 41-23 to on Sunday. And again, I'm gonna. This this might be a common theme of the day. No running attack for the New York Giants. But let's let's while we cover this game, let's start with the winning team and what the Broncos did well. And guess what I'm gonna say? They ran the ball very effectively. Last week against the Ravens, we saw the Broncos throw for seven touchdowns. Obviously, that was Peyton Manning throwing for seven touchdowns, but didn't get a rushing touchdown. In this game, two rushing touchdowns. From Noshawn Moreno, he was playing in his home state, uh, originally from Montclair, New Jersey. So he was back in in New Jersey. Remember, the Giants play in the great state of New Jersey, actually not in New York City. So maybe a little bit of a homecoming there. Excited to, you know, obviously a homecoming. Excited to play in front of uh, some some home fans. Maybe motivated Moreno, but whether or not that was true, big day for him. Rushing, had 13 carries, 93 yards. That's an average of 7.2 at a long of 25. And that long of 25 was almost more yards than the Giants had for the whole day rushing. Actually, it was. Excuse me. It was more. Moreno's long rush of 25 yards was more yards than the Giants gained the whole game. That is extremely sad on the Giants' part. Manning... Peyton Manning, that is, had a very good game, 30 uh, completions, 43 attempts, two touchdowns, so came back down to earth a little bit from that seven-touchdown um, uh, seven touchdown night 10 days ago. Um, uh, going back to the rushing game, I think uh, for fantasy purposes, many people did not expect Noshawn Moreno to be a factor this season. Um, if you listen to... Uh, Football Nation Radio with Bill Enright and Todd DeFreeze, they they talked about how this has just been a kind of a circus in Denver with the rushing attack. Obviously, if you're a Bronco fan, you don't mind as long as someone is being or all three of them together are being effective. It doesn't really matter, but uh, it's kind of been headache for fantasy fantasy football owners to figure out who's going to get the majority of the carries. Moreno had 13 Sunday. Monte Ball, the rookie, had 12. He also lost a fumble inside the five-yard line, another theme of today's show. Uh, As they were going in for a score in the first quarter, could have really changed the game. The Giants got uh, a turnover in their own end zone, recovered the fumble from Ball. Uh, But he he wasn't put into the doghouse like we saw David Wilson last week. He still got some carries, but Moreno got the majority of the, the, the big carries, and he had the bigger day. Ball only rushed for 16 yards on his 12 carries, so a really abysmal average. Ronnie Hillman, one carry for three yards. (laughs) I expected Hillman to be the starter for the Broncos, so I am completely wrong here. It it looks like Moreno is the guy for the Broncos in, in the backfield in situations where you need a pass blocker or, um, somebody to go out for a pass. If it's a passing down, a passing situation, Moreno is going to be in there. Monte Ball, the rookie, if it's a clearly rush situation or um, in a situation where they're trying to get running back carry, something like that, they're giving the ball to to, to Monte Ball. Uh, so that's why you kind of see the split there. For Ronnie Hillman owners, 
Not really sure where he fits in in the mix. I would have said that he is the guy that uh, you want to give the ball um, or, or have on the field when it's a passing situation or to perhaps change it up from Monte Ball. But Moreno has been filling in that role. And Hillman, again, is only in his second year. So perhaps they're waiting for him to get more experience, uh, pass blocking and such. And we'll, they'll put him in when it's clearly running down. Well, no, Monte Ball is in that role. So Ronnie Hillman kind of on the outside looking in right now for the, the rushing attack. But uh, either way, for the Broncos, happy with, with Moreno. And if you look at the receiving core this week, Eric Decker was on the outside looking in last week, only caught one pass. This week led the team in catches, nine uh, receptions, 87 yards, didn't get in the end zone, so he's still looking for his first touchdown. Demetrius Thomas was second with five catches, 52 yards. Just wasn't that much scoring this week for Broncos, at least through the air. Uh, still scored you know, uh, uh, 41 points, so I don't mean to say not a lot of scoring, but just the stats last week against Baltimore were just I mean, they were video game stats, but uh, Welker and uh, the the uh, tight end uh, Julius Thomas caught the two touchdowns, and uh, Eric Decker and Demetrius Thomas brought in the more catches. So Peyton Manning still spreading the ball around really nicely. Let's go to the New York Giants real quick. Already hinted at why they really lost the game. Twenty three yards rushing for the day. That's not going to get it done. You know, sixty yards rushing is not going to get it done. Um, an average of you know, 80, 90 rushing yards on most days is not going to get it done. That's in the lower, lower third, I'd say, of the league in rushing is if you're around 80 yards uh, per week. And they had 23. It just, it, there really is no reason to, to why it was so bad. They brought in Brandon Jacobs, who's in his first week back. He had as many carries as David Wilson. Wilson looked a lot better running in terms of carrying the football and protecting it. So it looked like, at least for now, the fumbling problem has gone away. But seven carries for Wilson, 17 yards. Seven carries for Jacobs, four yards. And um, Darone Scott, five carries, two yards. That's just bismal. Uh, Whether it's the running backs or the offensive line, at this point I'm going to say it's the offensive line. It really seems like with the injury to David Boss, the center, the Giants thought that they were going to have this um, insert the rookie Justin Pugh into tackle and move guys around on the offensive line and kind of patch it up that way rather than inserting the backup center. They thought the line would be better suited inserting the rookie at tackle and moving guys around. That hasn't worked out. At least in the running game, it hasn't worked out. Really no running game so far for the New York Giants. And without balance, Eli Manning just way too much pressure on him to come back in games. And that, to me, is why Eli Manning is making so many mistakes and throwing so many interceptions. He threw four on Sunday, which, again, I'll reference some fantasy owners. Four interceptions is not as bad when you throw four touchdowns. Like last week, he threw four. Three interceptions and four touchdowns. Obviously, one less interception probably helps the Giants win the game. Uh, So, you know, I'm not saying throwing three interceptions isn't bad. It is. But Manning, Eli threw one touchdown against the Broncos, four interceptions in his 49 pass attempts. So, not a good day at all 
for for Eli, losing to his older brother again for the third time in the Manning Bowl. The Giants now 0-2 going forward. You kind of have to wonder about this NFC East. Obviously, I think the team that's playing better in December is going to be the team that wins it. That's it. That's just kind of the way it goes with that division every single year. But I just quickly want to point this out before we go to break. Lots of people talk about how the NFC East is one of the best divisions or the best division in football. I forget who it was, but I read somewhere where someone compared the NFC East to the SEC of uh, of the NFL. All right. Let, Let me point out this little stat. The AFC West is probably considered one of the weaker divisions in in pro football, one of the weaker divisions in the AFC. You have the Broncos, and then everybody else is kind of pretty bad. Oakland, San Diego, Kansas City. Okay. Three teams from the AFC on Sunday played three teams from the NFC East. The AFC West won all three games. Denver beat New York. By a lot. San Diego edged out Philly. And Kansas City beat Dallas by a point. That's all I'm going to say. Just NFC East, not quite as good as everyone thinks. So, is it alarming that the Giants are 0-2? Yeah, of course it is. Only two teams that that started the season 0-2 went on to win the Super Bowl. uh, Analysts have been saying all week, you start 0-2... You have a 12% chance of making the playoffs. All right. But in that division, I think the Giants, they have talent. They just need to eliminate the turnovers, eliminate the mistakes, get the running game going. Commit to a running game. Commit to David Wilson. Have uh, um, bring, bring in uh, Jacobs in power running situations. The Giants still one of the more talented teams in the division. Okay, let's take a break, and then we'll come back with some more game coverage from Sunday's action. Back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, you can always get a hold of me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. I'd love to talk to you about anything football, baseball-related. I have some great uh, pennant races going on in Major League Baseball. Or even uh, something like Breaking Bad. Two episodes to go. Action-packed episode on Sunday night. Had to DVR it so I could still watch... uh, Seattle and San Francisco. Actually, I I watched it uh, during the the, the the delay, the storm delay. So uh, that was kind of convenient. But um, so let, let's go, let's move on to the one o'clock game that I watched between the Chargers and Eagles. I already mentioned that the Chargers won because all three AFC West teams defeated uh, NFC East teams on Sunday, and the Chargers, being one of them, defeated the Eagles thirty-three to thirty. Really exciting game. I loved being able to watch uh, the Eagles' offense again. We didn't get to talk about them last week because they were on Monday night. So after our recording, 
this Eagles offense looks impressive. Uh, I don't want to overstate it too much because there are things they could work on, and there's obviously things that the defense of Philadelphia could work on, but what Chip Kelly has brought to, to Philly, and I think the question of whether or not this type of offense is going to work in the NFL pretty much has been answered in the first two weeks that it's yes, this offense is going to work. Uh, it, it's still being sorted out between Michael Vick and his receivers. Deshaun Jackson looks better than ever. LaShawn McCoy looks younger, faster, uh, better in this in this type of offense. I never have been a huge Chip Kelly fan back in you know when he was at Oregon because I just I like defense I like watching defensive battles so I never really liked watching Oregon and because they wanted to outscore people but the the way Chip Kelly runs his offense with different styles of formations stuff that you you've never seen before it's completely innovative and in a league that's considered a copycat league like the NFL you have plays uh, that are recycled over and over again. Chip Kelly is actually a mind that's completely innovative that I'd consider that we've never seen stuff like this before. He tries to spread people out and then run at him. And he has the perfect, perfect um, personnel to run this style of offense with Michael Vick as his quarterback and LaShawn McCoy and Deshaun Jackson as his, as his uh, key um, playmakers. Uh, it's working perfectly, but there are some things that they need to work on. Like they're a team that's never going to control the time of possession. People have to realize that. You look at the possession against San Diego. San Diego did exactly what you need to do to counteract a fast-pacing uh, offense like Philadelphia. Slow it down, control the clock, um, control the game with your offense, keep their offense off the field. 40 minutes time of possession for San Diego. 40 minutes and 17 seconds. So the Philadelphia did not even have the ball for 20 minutes in the game. Unbelievable. Granted, time of possession doesn't always lead to points. But to slow down Philadelphia's offense to keep them off the field, um, well, to to slow them down, to, to prevent them from running so many plays, you do exactly that. Keep them off the field. And uh, San Diego did that perfectly. I thought this was going to be another game that San Diego um, would blow. They had two very key turnovers, uh, both of them in the red zone, uh, going in for scores. Kind of, again, a reoccurring theme from Sunday's games. Um, in In the first half, I believe, it was the first half, Antonio Gates, a guy that hasn't fumbled in like five years, fumbled near the goal line. Uh, so that was kind of, uh, not kind of, actually really surprising. Um, but San Diego able to pull it out. Phillip Rivers, a guy that uh, people were riding off and saying that he that his arm strength has gone down. He's not any good anymore. I bet he's probably a free agent in most of your fantasy football leagues. Depends on how many teams are in your league. But three touchdowns for him, no interceptions, 419 yards. The guy can still throw the ball around the yard. Uh so I'm not 100% sold on San Diego in terms of being competitive in the AFC. Don't really know how far they're going to go. But if Rivers is available in, in a fantasy league of yours, I wouldn't hesitate to pick him up. He is a guy that I think 
He he won me a championship three years ago in 2010. Now I don't think he's as good as he he was back then. I think he lead the, he led the league in uh, passing yards that season. He's not going to lead the 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 league in passing yards this season or, or any statistic, but the guy can still throw. So he's definitely at least worthy of a, a bye week plug in. Going forward. I think Philadelphia is going to compete in the NFC East. Definitely not a last place team in my mind. I'm not really sure who that last place team is going to be other than the obvious uh, Washington Redskins who have really been struggling. Uh, Didn't get to see all of that game yet. It's still on my DVR. But uh, the Packers really took it to them on Sunday. Uh, Really could have been 38-0 but uh, kind of in garbage time. The, the Redskins were able to score some touchdowns. And I think uh, we're, we've, we've mentioned fantasy football a couple times today. We live in a culture, or at least a, a, among our football culture, it's driven so much by stats. If you look at RG3's stats, they're not that bad. But, man, he's been playing really bad. So we're going to talk about RG3 a little bit later in the fourth and long segment. So I'll save my thoughts on him. But... Um, that they to me the Redskins are the the most obvious choice right now for last place in the NFC East. Philadelphia they're going to be in the thick of things. I think Dallas will be too. The Giants they're zero and two as well, so I guess I can put them in contention with last place. But uh, I think the Giants with that talented team, Eli Manning, Super Bowl MVP multiple times, Tom Coughlin, uh, they're going to compete. They're going to compete, and they, they, maybe they'll peak at the right time again and go on a run. Who knows? Anything's possible with that team. Let's go to the Thursday night game real quick. I uh, want to just hit upon a few things from the Wingland side. Obviously, the New York Jets were the losers in this game. And if, in case you missed it, I guess I shouldn't say obviously that New England defeated the Jets on Thursday 13-10. to Not quite as many points as we thought we'd get from New England against uh, New York. Uh, a lot closer game than we initially thought as well. It was a 10-3 at halftime, uh, New England. There was a chance to make it 17-3, but uh, the rookie Kembrell Tompkins wasn't able to bring in a long touchdown pass, so 20, about a 25-yard touchdown pass from Tom Brady. I just barely dropped it. So, uh, And then, and then uh, the missed field goal didn't even get to make it 13-3. It, it stayed 10-3 at halftime. But the Jets, kind of the same story, just too many mistakes. Three interceptions thrown by Geno Smith. Had a fumble also on their first drive in the first quarter uh, at their own 15-yard line or some somewhere around there, which led to a, a New England field goal chip shot. So when you when you turn the ball over that much against a team like New England, you're, you're not going to win. I know it was a close game. I know the Jets were in it. The Jets' defense played very well, but the thing that I wanted to hit upon for New England is this pass offense, the passing offense for Tom Brady. We we saw how frustrated he was on Thursday, uh, yelling at people, kind of having a temper tantrum on uh, on Thursday. Just, in my opinion, completely uncalled for. I understand you want to be intense, and everybody talks about how competitive Tom Brady is. But don't you think Peyton Manning is just as competitive as as Tom Brady, but he is a lot more composed? There's a difference between being intense and competitive and being overly sensitive and overly 
disruptive and impulsive to your teammates. And that, to me, was what Tom Brady was on Thursday. Yes, you can be intense, but keep your composure. Don't let the opponents know how frustrated you are. Tom Brady lets everybody in the stadium and everyone watching know what he's feeling and thinking. And to be honest, I just, I personally, when I played sports, I was much more like an Eli Manning or a Peyton Manning stone face. Don't let them see your frustration. Once the opponent knows you're frustrated, they won. They can smile about it and keep doing what they're doing. I mean, there, there's, there. I'm sure there's different opinions on that. But anyway, for Tom Brady, 19 of 39 passing, only completed 19 passes, one touchdown, so he kept his touchdown streak going. Didn't throw any interceptions, but only threw for 185 yards. And with the injuries starting to pile up for New England, no Rob Gronkowski, Danny Amendola was out of this game. Shane Vereen is out for 11 weeks or or till week 11 with uh, a wrist injury. The weapons are running pretty low in New England for who Tom Brady can throw to. And I was a big advocate of, well, Tom Brady will find a guy. He'll work, he'll work with, the, with, with these young rookies and make them better. I still think that's true, but it's going to take some time. The fact that they're 2-0 and they're winning with their defense says a lot about New England. I always talk about you got to win more than one way if you're going to win a championship. New England, still 2-0. Haven't played their best ball. Actually could be a good thing for them. But going forward, obviously this passing game has to get better. Julian Edelman, 13 catches, 78 yards. That's good. And he's a guy that's tough to double team. So he is open a lot, even when teams know that Brady wants to hit Edelman. But but the rookies, um, Dobson, Kenbrell Tompkins... They need to come through and make these plays. Tompkins comes close to making big plays, but then it just the ball slips right through his fingers or he doesn't get two feet down. Silly things that rookies do. And to be honest, not even rookies do. College players do. It will take some time. There's going to be more growing pains than I initially thought. But I, I don't think New England, uh, that there should be a concern that they won't make the postseason, anything like that. The AFC is still weak. The AFC East is still very weak. Miami looks to be in playoff contention. Actually, like I said, if you remember to back to my AFC predictions, I said Miami would make the playoffs. It's week two, so I'm, I can't get too excited. But Tom Brady and the Patriots, I think, will be just fine. It's just going to take them a little extra time than people thought to uh, get that passing game together. All right, let's, let's run real quick through the other scores from Sunday. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons got their first win. I, I forgot last week they actually lost to the Saints. So they are 1-1 one one now. They defeated the St. Louis Rams 31-24. Buffalo and Doug Marone with EJ Manuel, they get their first win of that regime 24-23 on a last-second uh, touchdown pass to Stevie Johnson. They defeated Carolina 24-23. Chicago. Got another close win against Minnesota this week, 31-30. The Bears, once again, are uh, winning close games early in the season. They always seem to start 7-1 or 7-3, something like that. But it ends up being smoky mirrors as uh, they uh, end up, you know, around the 500 mark most years. 
We'll see if it ends up being different this year for the Bears. Either way, they're 2-0. and um, Green Bay got their first win, like I mentioned. They they routed the Redskins 38-20. Miami, 2-0 as well. They defeated Indianapolis. Hey, I got that pick right in a 1st and 10 article, if you check that out, by me and Cooper Allen. Miami beat the Colts 24-20. Like I said, Kansas City defeated Dallas 17-16. Baltimore in a close one with Cleveland. It seems like every year Baltimore-Cleveland play a really close defensive game. And Baltimore always wins. They win this one 14-6. Houston and Tennessee went to overtime. The Texans kicker missed three kicks. Well, good thing they scored a touchdown in overtime. They win 30-24 over the Titans. The Cardinals get their first win with Bruce Arians as head coach. They defeated Detroit 25-21. New Orleans pulled off a close one in Tampa Bay. Uh, Rain delay, well, thunderstorm delay in that one as well. But the Saints' last-second field goal gets them the win. They're 2-0, 16-14 victory. Oakland defeated the ugly uniforms from the Jaguars 19-9. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back with our fourth and long segment. It's tough to beat the Righteous Brothers version of that song, but Hall & Oates comes really close. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We are now entering the fourth and long segment part of our show uh, where I say a statement and I'm either going to agree where I uh, go for it on fourth and long or I am going to disagree and punt it away. We're going to start with uh, RG3. I mentioned it before about how you might look at his stats and you think, oh, yeah, RG3 is playing fine. That's not the problem in Washington. Well, if you actually watch the games, he's not playing all that good. Well, first of all, he's throwing a lot more than I think Mike Shanahan would want him to. Through the first two games, he has 49 attempts against Philadelphia and then 40 attempts against Green Bay. Now, he set records with passing yards. 329 is a career high. He got that last week on Monday night. Then he got 320 on Sunday against Green Bay. Three touchdowns and then one interception. And against Philly, two touchdowns, two interceptions. All right, not terrible. But if you watch him play, he's he just doesn't look 100%. And there's been some talk. Uh, there was some talk during the, the you know the weather delay on Sunday Night Football on NBC. Should they take RG3 out if the Redskins lose another game? Is uh, Kirk Cousins a viable replacement? Put him in um, to, to play instead of RG3. So that's my statement. If the Redskins lose next week, Kirk Cousins should start week four. I'm going to punt this away. Whether or not you agree with RG3 coming back so quickly from his ACL injury, actually, I disagree with him playing. I agree more with the analyst on NBC, Rodney Harrison. I hate to say that because I really didn't like the guy when he played, but I, I really do think that RG3 was rushed back. Everybody pointed to how quickly Adrian Peterson got back from an ACL injury. 
that's not normal. That's not normal for a guy, any athlete, really. It's just, I don't know, Adrian Peterson is just such a freak. But RG3, this was his second knee replacement, his second major knee surgery. There wouldn't have, I don't think it would have done any harm to keep him out a little bit longer. It's easier to say now because the Redskins aren't winning and RG3 isn't isn't playing particularly well. But if he wasn't ready to play in the preseason, that probably should have been some indication. RG3 is not a guy that's going to just step in and play well after sitting out through the preseason. That's my second point. I don't think it's necessarily that he's hurt for why he's not playing well. I think it's more of he's rusty. Maybe he's not 100%. Maybe he is. Who knows? Only he really knows. But he's rusty. He didn't play at all in the preseason. He's probably not going to return to form from what he was last year until week four or week five. So to sit him out after week three if they end up losing next week as well. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is a good is a good backup. You know, John Gruden said he could start for a lot of teams. Probably true. I think he probably should have been started at the beginning of the season for the Redskins. But you already went with RG3. Stick with RG3. He's your starting quarterback. There, there's no quarterback controversy. RG3 is your guy. Unless he's not 100% and he can't play, he should play. Okay, let's go to our second uh, statement. We're going to go to Tampa Bay, a team that we don't get to talk about enough on the show. Uh, luckily, I got to see them uh, twice. Or, well, one and a half times, I guess. Uh, I saw the second half, really, against the Saints Playing really well, their defense showing up, picking off Drew Brees twice, returning one for a touchdown. They made a big goal line stand at the in the second quarter to keep it a close game. Buccaneers defense showing up. The one thing though, Greg Schiano uh, has been a huge disciplinarian coach. Uh, over a hundred yards of, in penalties for Tampa Bay two weeks in a row now. But my statement has to do with Josh Freeman. Josh Freeman reports say that he will request a trade at some point this season. My statement, Josh Freeman should be traded by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This one's a lot tougher, but I'm going to punt it away as well. I I you know, I know a lot of people are not sold on on Josh Freeman. A lot of people don't believe that he can be a franchise quarterback. You know, I'm not going to say that he is a franchise quarterback or he could be, but in the last couple of seasons, I just think he's gotten I mean, he's just in a bad situation in Tampa Bay. He's he's switched coaches a couple times now. I guess maybe just just once with with Shiano. Shiano never seemed to really like him. He wants his own guy. He's kind of just getting the short end of the stick and when the Tampa Bay loses, he gets most of the blame. Whether or not it's his fault, I mean, it's up for negotiation. It's part of his fault. He's the quarterback. It's a quarterback-driven league. But I do think that he kind of wrongfully gets a lot of the blame when it's really not all of his fault. So should they trade him? No, I don't think so. I think they should try and keep him and 
and make him their quarterback this season and, and salvage this year. But now they're already 0-2. They've dropped two games that they should have won, quite, quite frankly. They should be 2-0 and and have a win against division rival New Orleans and in first place in the NFC South. But instead, they're 0-2 and could really spiral to uh, to really, a really bad record. We saw a couple years ago, uh, they started 4-2 and and lost 10 games in a row to end the season. And that was the end of Rakeem Morris got fired. So we've kind of seen this story before with the Bucks. Hopefully they don't give. Hopefully for them and their fans, they don't give up on uh, Shiano. But uh, if his if his scheme does not win quickly, he's going to be very unpopular among the players because he's a tough coach. And if it doesn't work, doesn't produce wins, he's not going to have a team behind him. All right, my last statement of the fourth and long segment. We're going to go to the AFC North. Baltimore, I mentioned, won against Cleveland. But it did come at a high price. Ray Rice left the game with a thigh injury. My statement, if Ray Rice is out for an extended period of time, the Ravens' playoff hopes are extremely hurt by the injury. I'm going to punt this away away as well. I know Ray Rice is their franchise. He is their best player on offense. He's their best overall player. But <laughs> one of the reasons why I don't think their their you know their playoff hopes are are completely gone if they don't have Rice is because they don't use Rice as much as they should. And two, they have Bernard Pierce, who's a very good backup. And I'm going to reference fantasy once again. If you have Ray Rice, I hope you handcuffed him with Bernard Pierce. It doesn't look like, as of right now, that Ray Rice's injury is compl- is that serious. But if it turns out to be serious, I hope you have Bernard Pierce so that you can start him in place of Ray Rice. Because, honestly, the Ravens might not miss a beat with Pierce. He ended up scoring the one rushing touchdown for uh, Baltimore against Cleveland. So the, the Pierce is a guy that could step in and produce like it's very similar to Ray Rice. And um, the Ravens, for the most part, in an offense that's trying to find itself and a team that's trying to find its its new identity after winning the Super Bowl last year, Pierce fits in very nicely as the starter if Ray Rice ends up missing time. Let's take one more break. Here's another song from Hall and & Oates, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, you can find me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You can also email me, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. Please get a hold of me and uh, we can talk about sports, TV shows, movies, whatever. I'm always open to a conversation. A couple of uh, articles I want to reference before we get out of here uh, are... Guy that always pops up on our show with uh, great stuff, Tom Pollan, wrote uh, an article entitled Bears Survive Vikings Raid to Win 31-30, Five Things That We Learned. So the, it's part of the series, Five Things That We Learned. Uh, there's usually an article 
um, listing five things that we've learned from each game on footballnation.com. So uh, Tom was doing the the Bears and Vikings game. Uh, Tom, a very loyal Bears fan, I know, so no bias at all on the article, right? <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it's it's always great stuff from Tom, so definitely check out that article. And two other authors that I don't know as much about. Um, I've, I've heard of this name, John DeRosa. Uh, he seems to cover the Giants a lot. He wrote a nice piece on uh, reunion with uh, Brandon uh, Jacobs and the New York Giants, so you can talk about or, or read about that. He talks about that in his article. And Austin Brock, um, staying with the Giants, again, five things we learned from the Broncos and Giants game, so you can re- check that out as well. Don't forget, check out all the other uh, five things we learned, articles from the games, uh, and uh, check out... Uh, the live radio show with uh, Bill Enright and Todd DeFreeze every Tuesday and Thursday, 12 to 2, Football Nation Radio. Uh, and you can also download it later in the iTunes store or listen to it um, later after on it's, after it's live uh, and listen to it from uh, the website, footballnation.com. And, of course, you can always download our podcast also in the iTunes store. So that does it for week two. Enjoy Monday night. Enjoy uh, the rest of your week. And then we'll see you next week for week three. I'm already excited to do it. In the meantime, though, I'm going to go and try and find some peace in my mind. Don't you know?